Today we are going to complete our New Year's sermon series titled The Essentials, where over the past three weeks we have been looking at four critical habits that should continue to be developed in the life of any follower of Christ. In week one, we talked about a, an ever-expanding faith. In week two, we discussed a life-altering repentance. Last week, we talked about a love that creates value and how we are to be a, not only be able to receive God's love, but to, to give that love out to others. And today, we are going to talk about developing a heart of generosity. This is my annual sermon that I give on generosity and giving. And I got to tell you something, I get excited when I give this message. A lot of pastors try to avoid this because of the very thing Chris was talking about when he got up here. Some people have been in churches where all they ever talked about was money. Sometimes you see people on television doing Christian work and you wonder if that's all they're about because they constantly talk about money. That's not what this message is going to be about. It is about your giving and we are called to give. There is absolutely no doubt about that. But we've got to get to the point where we consider it a privilege, as Chris said, to give, and where we can give with joy in our hearts, because that's what God wants from us. And if you're here today, I want you to understand this is a message for those who call High Point their home, but please take what I'm going to share with you, apply it to your own Christian life as it applies to the church that you attend. This is good information and information that we all need to know. You see, I believe that generosity is the byproduct of a life that is surrendered to Jesus. Once you have received what was freely given to you, salvation, and once the reality of what God has done in and through you begins to sink in, you start to begin life by looking at things differently. You start to see things through your spiritual eyes instead of just the eyes of your flesh, meaning that you begin to start viewing life from an eternal perspective and not just from the here and now, which takes so much of our focus and energy. Your decisions, your attitudes, your daily actions should now be guided by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And through all of that, generosity naturally develops within you because it's a natural overflow of Christ's generosity towards you. Now, when you talk about generosity, it can, you can be generous in a whole lot of ways. You can be generous in spirit, generous with your time, generous in serving in your church or your community or, or, or others. You can be generous with your love. You can be generous with words of encouragement. And as Christ followers, you should be generous in every one of those areas. But today, I want to talk specifically about being generous with your financial resources, Generous with your money and your finances through your faithful giving to the local body, the local church. It's when we get to the point of heeding Jesus' words that to be less focused on storing up for ourselves treasures here on earth, where the scriptures say moth and rust will inevitably destroy, to beginning to store up for yourself treasures here up in heaven. Because truly, those are the only treasures that are going to last. And you can't really talk about this, this whole subject properly without first understanding the concept of stewardship. Stewardship, of course, comes from the root word steward, which means to be a manager. So stewardship is about managing your finances in such a way that it allows you to become generous in your giving. 
And therein lies one of the greatest problems because we don't always do a good job at managing our personal financial resources. And I am so thankful for a couple in this church named Phil and Jill Mon who teach a class once a year here at High Point called Financial Peace. It's a series of classes that help people to begin to look at their finances in a new and a totally different way with the mindset of being a steward. They teach processes of how to get out of debt learning to live within a budget that you establish and being able to identify wants from needs. And of course, they address giving and they address generosity as it pertains to the Christian life, and that's a great place to start. I know that they are working right now on establishing a date for their classes this year, so when you hear about it, I encourage you to be a part. It will transform your financial life as you know it and it will make you a better steward of the resources that God has blessed you with. So, talking about this concept of stewardship, it's essential that you grasp this truth. The very first thing you've got to remember regarding your personal wealth is to understand that you and I are simply stewards of those things that we have, those resources, all of us. None of what you have, none of what I have, none of what you've acquired, none of what I have acquired belongs to us. The Bible tells us that everything belongs to the Lord. Yes, we are blessed by God to have these things, but we are simply a steward over them during our time on earth. And this is proven every single day in this country when thousands upon thousands of American people die while everything that they have accumulated over the years remains They don't take any of it with them. They can't take any of it with them. That's why they say you never see any hearses with luggage racks. (laughs) That only goes to prove that you are a steward. You and I are stewards, folks. We are not owners. So we got to realize that we are all stewards, and it is God's desire for us to steward our blessings in such a way that it brings honor to God. And one of the ways that we honor God is through generosity. Now, when we talk about giving, understand the practice of giving is firmly established in the Bible, and it begins in the Old Testament. And there are three examples of ways that we display generosity and that we we give. The first one is the tithe. Many of you have heard that word. What does the tithe mean? It means a tenth. The Jewish people practiced tithing, a tenth of, of every increase that they were blessed with was given to God. It was referred to as their first fruits. In fact, in Proverbs 3.9, it says this, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. And then that verse is followed by a promise because in verse 10, it goes on to say, then, after you've honored the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So a tenth of their harvested crops, of their increase of newborn livestock, a tenth of all their increase to their wealth was given to God. When they harvested a field of wheat, then out of gratitude to God, they gave a tenth of that increase, and meaning that they presented it at the temple so that the poor could have something to eat. If God blessed you with ten new lambs, then out of gratitude you gave God one of those ten. Tithing is how God has always financed his kingdom work here on this earth. The tithe is the lifeblood of any church, and the tithe comes from God's people, you and I. Those who have grasped this truth that giving is our spiritual responsibility. The second type of giving is offerings. 
what you would call free will offerings. In addition to the tithe, they would also bring offerings into the temple, again, to express their gratitude towards God. In fact, many people who haven't established the spiritual discipline of tithing will, will sometimes give offerings, and that's a good thing, because it's another way in which you first help to support the local church, but it's also a way of starting to see generosity develop within you. Some in our church give additional amounts to, to missionaries and other ministry works, and these are all considered free will offerings as well. A third kind of giving is what the Bible refers to as alms. It's money and gifts that are given to those who are in need. If you know of a person, if you know of a situation where there's a great need and you give toward that need, then you are giving alms. And alms are given above and beyond the tithe. And it's another form of giving. So these are all ways in which God's people gave in the Old Testament and they gave out of obedience as they awaited the promise Messiah. But I want to fast forward to today because... We are blessed to live under the new covenant. Jesus the Messiah has come. He has suffered. He has died and he has resurrected from the grave and he has saved us from our sins. We no longer live under law, but we live under God's amazing grace. And, and, and the new covenant, in the new covenant, God gives us a greater reason to want to be generous towards him. In the Old Testament, they gave awaiting the promised Messiah but now we have experienced the Messiah. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 8, verses 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though that he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He did not mean we would become rich in a financial sense. He meant rich in spirit, but that is not to say that God doesn't bless people with wealth, because he does. And he especially seems to bless those who he knows will become funnels of his great blessings. He blesses them because he knows that they will pass that blessing right through their fingers on to the kingdom work and to bless other people. But the point is, and I'm trying to make, is that Paul directed the people toward Christ and his goodness. He's basically saying, if Christ has done so much for you, and if he has given so much to you, shouldn't we be a grateful people? Shouldn't we have grateful hearts? And shouldn't that gratefulness be manifested in, by each of us being generous in our giving? In other words, giving should become a lifestyle for all followers of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, if you cannot relate to this idea of developing generosity in your life, you are missing a huge element of your Christian walk. So how does it all happen? Well, just like anything else, it begins by practice. You practice to give. And over time, it becomes a lifestyle. Then as you see God's provision in meeting all of your needs as well as blessing his work, that's when you experience the true joy in giving. And then you come to realize that giving is just what you do. And it becomes a part of your life and you never go back. But you know, in my years as being a pastor, I have discovered two very common reasons why it becomes so difficult for people to give. First of all, many people don't believe that they can afford to give. Many have a hard time making ends meet. And so they worry if they give, there may not, if they give, there may not be enough left over for them to pay their bills. They have a hard time believing what the scriptures say about giving and fully trusting in God's promises. And clearly, it, it clearly becomes a trust issue. 
And speaking of promises, there's one in the Bible regarding uh, giving, specifically the tithe that's found in Malachi that I love. It's Malachi 3.10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that's the church, so that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw up in the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. God is so adamant about this promise that he actually wants us to test him on this. That he will pour out his blessings upon you so that you will not have room in order to contain it. So at some point, every follower of Jesus has to start taking God at his word because when you do, you will see his promises fulfilled in your life. A secondary reason why people have such a hard time giving is societal influence. We derive a great deal of pleasure and enjoyment and identity from our money. We live in a nation where materialism and consumerism is king, and so for many people, their focus is about spending and obtaining and possessing. In addition, society also breeds this kind of mindset that tells us we need to hold on to what we have for fear that we will never have enough. It's the American way of life, and, and whether we are willing to admit it or not, we get caught up and we are affected by our culture. So here's the point. For any change to occur in your or my life regarding what Jesus taught about generosity and our response to it, or really for us to grasp anything that Jesus taught us, it will only come through a heart that is changed by God's Spirit. See, none of what Jesus taught us makes any sense unless you start to live your life being guided by the Holy Spirit. The world says if someone slaps you on one cheek, you, turn the, you should turn the other. No. It says knock the guy out. The only way we grasp that is when we understand the love of God. Someone smacks you on one side, he tells us to turn and let him slap the other cheek. If he asks you for your coat, give him your coat and your cloak and anything else. It goes above and beyond. The world says nothing about that. Change in our actions, ladies and gentlemen, will only occur when we allow God the opportunity to transform us on the inside. As a pastor, I've been asked a lot of questions before. The big one is, why does God need my money anyway, Pastor David? And I want you to understand, God doesn't need your money. Chris said that earlier. Stay out of my preaching, by the way. Stay in your lane. <laughs> Give you a little preemptive there. I thought, oh man, why did you say that? No. God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. He wants your heart. Can you get that through your head, people? Money is so vitally important to us that when you come to the point of, of joyfully giving some of it away, God knows that real change has occurred in you. When you begin to trust God with your financial resources, which is one of the toughest thresholds that many people have to cross, you are now trusting him for everything. This is when God knows that you have graduated to probably the highest level of faith and trust in him. Another commonly asked question is, why does the church ask for money? And I don't get that one, because I think it should be pretty obvious to anybody who lives in the 21st century. You understand the cost of operating anything. It's interesting that people don't think twice about paying monthly fees for a health club or for dues for some civic organization or pay, pay monthly for the internet or cable or cell phone service. But the thought of giving something to their church 
either never crosses their mind or people actually get offended with that idea. Some of you may be offended with me right now. And I'm not going to ask you to forgive me for that because I'm speaking truth from God's word. Amen. You see, this building that we worship in, it didn't just happen. The people of God before you had a vision for a growing church and a community that needed Jesus desperately. And they all came together and they sacrificed toward that vision. They own that vision. And, and I am so thankful that they did because look at this incredible facility that God has blessed us with. Every church that you see was built through the giving of the people of that church. There's no government loans or grants or, that are available to the church. There's no assistance given to us whatsoever. And in addition, there are likewise daily operating expenses that go on in the church. We have a mortgage payment, we have property taxes, power bills, insurance, water bills, payroll, so on. Just like your daily expenses, the church has them at well as well. They're just 20 times bigger than what yours are. You know we have $7,000 power bills in the summer in this place? Think about paying that out of your pocket. In addition to that, this church wants to be able to do more things in our community, to bless our community through outreach and support, and every one of them costs something to do. So daily, High Point Assembly lives by faith, faith that our needs are going to be provided for. And because God owns everything anyway, and just like he provides for your needs, he likewise provides for the needs of this church, but he provides for the needs of this church through the giving of his people. That's you and me. That's how this place exists, in case you're wondering. And as we all begin to mature in our faith collectively, and all of us begin to trust in God's promises and begin to give fully to the Lord, this church will be able to accomplish even greater things. Bottom line is this. If everybody in this church began to live out this truth in their daily lives and trust God to give generously, there would be absolutely nothing we could not do as a church. We could provide broader and more effective ministry than ever before. We could do more outreach into the community. We could support more missionary works going on around the world. We could upgrade our facilities as needed. We could help other churches who are struggling to make ends meet. We could support our public schools in more creative ways. When you think about it, I could go on and on and on, but the, the list is, is endless, and I pray that each one of you will pray about this and find a way to be a faithful giver, if you're a member here to our church or if you're a member of another church, to your church. You know, when you go through the Bible, it's exciting to see scriptures that lay out promises or blessings that flow from our obedience to God. But when you look at each one of those scriptures, you'll always find a conditional statement found within. There's a condition in order for the blessing or the promise to take place. And yet we, we always tend to overlook the conditional part of it, the part that requires our participation. In other words, there's often a formula that is found in, in the scriptures, formulas for success and the reason why God's promises work. Let me give you some examples. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use or give, it will be measured back to you. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Both of these scriptures reference generosity 
and the kind of blessings that come through your personal approach to giving. You give in good measure, and that's how it's going to be measured back to you. If you sow generously, you can expect to reap generously. But the key is that you first have to learn to give in order to receive. If you don't give, God can't give back to you, nor will you reap generously. There's a condition. The condition is it requires participation on all of our parts. Now, I never teach that you give in order to get something in return. And what I mean by that is the the, the work of the Lord is not some certificate of deposit that you invest in in hopes of getting a return on that investment. No, you give because it's a privilege and it is a right, and it's not only a right, but it's the right thing to do. You give out of obedience to God. You give out of a thankful heart for what Christ has done for you. you. You give so that the ministry of Jesus can continue within our community so that the lost will one day receive salvation in Christ. And you give so this place that you call your church home or wherever you call your church home can exist. But having said that, there is undeniable blessings that flow through your giving, as the Word of God clearly shows. But here's the reality. Out of all the spiritual disciplines that should be an ongoing and ever-developing part in the life of a Christian, there is really no, not one that is more universally difficult to grasp than this call to generosity, than this concept of being a faithful giver. The ability to become a generous giver and doing so with joy in your heart sadly is one of the last things that gets developed in the life of most Christians. For many, it's a process, and that process involves prayer and ultimately obedience. And as I said earlier, many people think they can't afford to give, and they say things like this. They say, oh, I'm waiting for God to bless me with more money before I give, or when I get out of school, or when I get that new job, or, or when my business increases, or when I pay off you know, that debt I've been paying on a long time. Then I will become a giver, and honestly, ladies and gentlemen, that mentality goes in just the opposite direction of faith. Instead of saying, when this happens or that happens, I will now start to give, faith says you cannot afford not to give. You see, God's blessings come through your faithfulness and your trust in God's faithfulness. When you don't give, he can't prove that his his promises are true or that he's a faithful God in that area of life. So if you're wondering why perhaps certain blessings have sidestepped you, or why it seems like nothing ever changes in your financial life, have you ever thought it might be due to the fact that you have never brought yourself to the point of trusting God enough to give in the first place? Let me tell you something. God is always waiting for us to take those first steps of faith, not just in our giving, but in everything, so that he can prove to us that his word is true. In other words, we give out of gratitude. We give out of obedience. That's why we give in the first place. That is the part we play in the process. But that's when God steps in. And through his his obedience, he provides blessings as a result of our giving. That's where he makes true on his promises. You see, I believe with all of my heart, the measure to which you are blessed in your personal finances is directly related and proportionate to your generosity and ultimately your trust in God. When you don't give, you are simply holding up God's blessings that can only come through B. 
being a faithful giver. When you do give, you open yourself up to the promises of God. And it's a perfect plan when you think about it. Once you obediently step out in faith, God blesses you in supernatural ways, and it only encourages you to give in even greater ways. So there is no time like the present to begin, even when you think you can't, so that God can show you that his word is true, and so that you can take his promises as truth, which they are. Here's the point, and this is what I've learned in my life. You can never outgive God. You cannot. As you learn to become more and more generous, the more generous God becomes with you because he knows he can trust you with his blessings, knowing that in return, those additional blessings will be given back to kingdom work. And so you give more, and God blesses you more, and it becomes a never-ending process, and one, I might add, you can afford not to be a part of. But here's the key to it all, and here's the hinge point, I believe. It's in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and it says this, each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I can stand up here till I'm blue in the face, express to you the many reasons why you should give. I can do my best to explain to you the many blessings that I, my wife, have received and continue to receive in our lives through our personal giving, but truthfully, it will not become real to you until you believe it and until you do it. Until you go from, well, I feel like I, I need to give, I'm feeling some pressure because my pastor's talking about it, to I want to give because I know that what God has, store in me is, has, has in store for me will be greater than anything I have experienced in my financial life up until this point. Ladies and gentlemen of High Point, that's when God's promises will be released in your life. Let me share with you another promise God makes in his word. It's just one more way that God blesses those who give. Uh, it's, and it's, results, uh, it's about the results of giving. In, in Malachi 3.11, he says, and God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. That's just but another promise that God has on how he will bless us in, in an area that we tend to worry about the most. Not having enough. That's the greatest fear. You see, daily we run into problems and circumstances and situations that, that have a way of devouring our cash, right? The devourer that God is speaking about here can encompass many things. He's referencing it in that, that culture where there were farmers. And maybe the raising crops in the Old Testament is not your thing, so you can't relate to the vines and the fruit and all of that. So how might God rebuke the devourer in your life here in the 21st century? By allowing that car that should have crashed and died out on you two years ago to run two years longer than it should have. By finding out that you're getting a tax refund that you never, ever expected. By somehow having your rent reduced for some strange reason. By receiving an unexpected check out of the thin air from a relative or a friend or an organization. Finding out that something you thought was out of warranty was mysteriously covered in some obscure line in your warranty. Every giver will tell you story after story after story of how God rebuked the devourer in their life and they encountered things that happened on a supernatural way. Or they can share with you times when financial blessings came to them out of the blue. Clear out of the blue. They weren't expecting it. And all of these things, as I said, are supernatural events. And it's God's way of blessing you by rebuking the devourer in your life. When God rebukes the devourer, that translates into more of your resources staying with you, not just to meet your needs, but so that you can continue to give generously.
Let me tell you about another thing that giving does for you. Being a cheerful giver allows you the unique ability to look at your financial life in a whole different view. No longer is there fear involved, but there comes a greater trust that creates within you a deep-seated peace and joy. And it will also provide you with a real sense of contentment no matter where you fall on the pecking order with regard to uh, this pecking order of, of financial stability that this world has established. And all the while, your faith in God is increased, as does your trust in God, when you see him actively working on your behalf in your financial life and in your future. Because you understand there's a supernatural element constantly at work that plays into everything you do. And it prospers. This is exciting stuff. I've lived it. And I know hundreds of you in this room have lived it as well. And I hope and pray that you haven't grasped this truth that I share with you today. That one day you will. Because it will change your life. I'm telling you, it will change your life forever. One of the most powerful examples of giving is found in the Bible in Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down near the collection box of the temple and he watched as people came by and dropped in their offerings. Many of the affluent came in and they dropped in hordes of money, but then a poor widow came by and she dropped in two small coins. And Jesus said this in Mark 12, 43. Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So the question becomes, why is she giving her money away? She doesn't have social security. She has nothing. On top of that, she has no husband. He is deceased, and she lives in a culture where it was pretty much almost impossible for a woman to survive on her own. These coins are all that she had to live on. As she was poor, she was in need, and yet she still freely gave them away. Why is that? I believe in all my, with all my heart that it was out of her gratitude. This widow is grateful for what God has done and how he has sustained her over the years. For the fact that in spite of the terrible circumstances that she is in, God was continually providing for her needs so she fully trusted in him to continue to take care of her even if she gave those two coins away. And this act of giving was her manifestation of love and of trust in God. These coins, she believed, belonged to God. And honestly, before you can become a giver, and I mean a giver in the truest sense of the word, you must develop a grateful heart, a heart that realizes that every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. In other words, if you have a job, be thankful for that job. It is a gift from God, and be as best at it as you possibly can. If you receive a monthly check through Social Security or any, any other government agency or, or any pension fund or a retirement fund, then be thankful for that. That is a gift from God. It may not be everything that you want, but it fulfills your needs. You see, developing a generous heart starts by being grateful, just like the woman who gave the coins at the temple. Because without a grateful heart, you can't give with the right attitude. What I mean by that is if you can't give out of gratefulness for what God has done for you, then you might as well not give. I believe that when we give, it is our attitude in our giving that plays a big part in those blessings that we receive from Almighty God. Listen, I believe that you are blessed whenever you give. I, I believe that with all my heart. And, and, and just too many people that I know confirm that day after day. But when you give with a grateful heart, 
with a joyful heart, that's when those supernatural blessings really begin to occur in your life. And not just once or twice, but on an ongoing basis. Those unexplainable things that, that happen in your finances that just don't make sense. When on paper it appears that there's just not enough money to do it all, and yet you pay your tithe, you pay your bills, and there's still money in the bank when it's all over. That's supernatural, ladies and gentlemen, and that's how God works. Thank you. That's, that's good stuff. And as I said, there are literally hundreds of people in this room who have experienced this, exactly what I'm talking about. And it began when they realized that God blesses each one of us so that we in turn bless others, so that we can provide for the work of his church, so that ministry can be accomplished here on earth. So I submit to you, if you don't have the capacity to be grateful for what you do have, no matter how much, no matter how little, you'll never be able to grasp this concept of generous giving. So this morning, I encourage you to not only to develop a heart of generosity, but learn to become a faithful giver. And let me just add a few tips here in, clo in closing. First of all, when you give, give willingly. You give because you want to give. Giving is a voluntary thing. When the offering plate comes in front of you week after week, Again, don't give because you feel pressured, but instead give because it's something that you want to do and consider it a privilege to do your part to make sure the needs of God's house are met. Amen. Secondly, when you give, give quietly. Never boast about what you're giving. That's between you and God. You give in secret, not to receive the accolades of man, but to receive through obedience the unending blessings and provision of God. So whenever you give, and whether you are excited that you gave so much or disappointed that you couldn't give more, keep that between you and God. He'll bless you for that. Thirdly, when you give, give generously. The tithe belongs to the Lord. I don't think any of us would, would dispute that fact. But the point is, as you develop a heart of generosity, be someone who not only loves to tithe, but someone who, who exercises their faith to the point of giving free will offerings and alms as well. Because again, as I said, you can never outgive God. If you try, he'll just continue to bless you more and more because the blessings will become greater and greater and your giving continues to become greater and greater. Let me end with something the Apostle Paul wrote. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But just as you excel in everything in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see to it that you excel in this grace of giving. Paul calls this ability and willingness to give the grace of giving, and I don't know about you, but I want to excel in this grace of giving in my own personal life. Because once we learn to be free in our expressions and gratitude of love towards God through our financial giving, I believe that God knows that we finally have gotten it. He knows that he has our heart he knows that we truly trust him. And so I want to challenge you today, if you've never before allowed yourself to, to begin to give openly and without fear and without reservation, then ask God to create that kind of trust in your heart towards him and practice this spiritual discipline of sowing into God's kingdom and into his purposes. And as you do, you will begin to reap the incredible results that come from it. You will begin to understand freedom in Jesus Christ in even a greater way. So there you have it. 
That's my annual message on generosity and how it's manifested in our lives. I only do this once a year. So if you're here visiting, you say, I went and that church only talked about money. Well, yeah, you came on the wrong Sunday. <laughs> but you understand this is important. And it is my responsibility to share this truth. We can't take part of the Bible and live by it. We've got to live by the entire truth found in God's word. Amen. I've done my best. Yeah, I've done my best this morning to show you why giving is an essential part of the Christian life. And I pray that you'll take it to heart.